I think it's important to be a little bit scared or have a little bit of fear of what we're doing. We actually are all going through the same level of insecurity, no matter how successful we become. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. And I just remember standing on a cliff in Ireland, chucking chips in the air. How on earth am I, what am I doing here? My dyslexia is my secret weapon and yeah. I use it every day. Oh, hi, Graham. Hello, mate. Here we are on a Saturday. I know, why are we and doing this again? You know, that, you know that question that people ask, it's like a game to kill time where they say you're having a dinner party and you can invite five guests from any time, dead or alive, who would you invite? Yes. The 2021 version of that is you host a podcast series and you can invite one guest. Who do you ask? Okay. And this is one of those people. It is. Paul Katma. Let's okay. get him in. I didn't mind it. I didn't Paul. mind it, but somebody might. Hi, gentlemen. Does, does that work? It does. How are yeah. you going? Excellent. All good? That's good. Good to uh, see you or see a screen with your name on it, at least. Oh, oh hang on. Uh, turn camera on. Good to see you. <laughs> Welcome to uh, The Imposterous. Thank you. As we let you know, The Imposterous wants to dig into the uh, imposter syndrome, potentially faced yeah. by, by creatives, and we thought you'd be a great person to, to have on and have this chat. Very foolish, but um, this has actually inspired me to write an article about uh, the imposter syndrome for the um, the paper on Sunday. So, oh, brilliant! Art That's imitating brilliant. life. We've already served our purpose. Should we just go now? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I do appreciate that because I I was it, it kind of you get a bit stuck for things to write about after a while. So, so Graham and I have been um, talking, at, and we've come to the conclusion that it's we're in the business of worry, that our jobs are to worry, to worry about everything. You know, we worry about ads, we worry about ideas, we worry about font choice, colours, we worry about our clients, we worry about our clients' business, we worry about our reputations, and ultimately we worry about our jobs. And on top of that, there's this feeling that the best creatives are those who are most empathetic or insightful to the target audience. So we have to do all this stuff based on feelings, and worries about those feelings. How do you think that potentially impacts someone over a career of that? Does that start to play into how they feel about themselves? I, I, a huge, I, I think, well, certainly a huge part of my career was worry. Uh, and uh, as you say, it's, it's worry about clients. Is, is the work any good? Are we going to get fired? Am I going to get paid? Is there going to be any good? Um, so, so that's a massive part of your career. And I, I actually, you know, as I, I come to the end of my career or I've come to the end of my career, I am so relieved not to do that anymore. But on the other hand, it's what drives us. It's what, what made the job so interesting in that, you, in that you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know how the ads were going to proceed. If you, it's like sports. You go along to, to see your regular sport and you always want your, you always want your team to win but if they won every week and you knew they were going to get win every week, it would, act, it would actually be quite boring. 
so it's that it's element of chance and not knowing what's going to happen that actually makes a job interesting within itself. And that stress, which I'm really glad to have mainly left behind now, uh, it is actually what what drives you to do to try and do your job as best you can. And your career over a number of years across a number of agencies, uh, ECD roles, founder roles, you've started agencies in various countries. Um, so you come from a generation, and I'm sure that is any creative coming through that you learn from the greats. You know, you, you study from, from the names that, that tend to appear in the copybook, you know, Noakes, Abbott, Hunt, Wyden, names like these, and they come with expectations. Do you think that those expectations that we put on ourselves, that creatives put on themselves to achieve at the level that they wish to achieve, suck the joy out of the job? Or do those expectations, you know, meeting them or not, do they actually drive us to be better? Uh, it, it's, it's difficult. Certainly when you're starting out looking at the work of, of those that have gone before, and trying to emulate that is good. But the issue becomes that you try and emulate their work rather than you try and be as good to them. So you will write in the style of uh, yeah, Burnback or Abbott or uh, John Hegarty or, um, or whatever. But, yeah, you, uh, you have that, I guess, in, in, any, in any form of remotely... Uh, creative work you are standing on the shoulder of giants and and trying to peek over the top and be better does it suck the joy uh no i, I don't think so have you ever successfully imitated any of the greats would you say and this then becomes a silly thing about originality in advertising and you're not allowed to copy anyone else's ads but you're quite you're quite welcome to copy something from outside advertising, a style of art or typography or, or, or visuals or writing, which is, um, yeah, originality is another podcast altogether, I think. You know, imposter syndrome, you know, it's a big, murky, shadowy thing. But actually, as we're going through this, we're, we're talking to more people, we're actually finding a bit of a mission with this thing, which is about finding the positive in our collective insecurities and actually, you know, speaking to people like yourselves that have been through the mill more than once, there's lots of stuff that we can learn. And so we're wondering, you know, when was the last time you felt like you didn't belong or you felt like you were a fraud? And if you can think of a specific time or situation, and then how did you get past it? How did you deal with it? Well, to be honest, that's never happened, which I, so I guess stop the podcast there. Um, so I've at times in my life. So when I started advertising college, I turn up, I turn up on my first day at the School of Communication Arts in London, and I have no idea whether or not I'm any good, or whether or not I've just wasted thousands of pounds uh, on my own education to turn up and be humiliated by everybody being way ahead of me. But after a couple of weeks, I go, no, this is all right. I can, I can hold my own here. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not being totally left behind. And the same thing starting work, starting at, at um, you know, what was YNR London back in the 1820s and turning up to work and not knowing, having no idea whether or not you're, you're, you're capable of doing it 
whether you're, whether you're good enough to be there or will be made to look like an idiot. And after a few weeks, you know, um, Mike O'Sullivan is my art director at the time. We kind of turn to each other and go, you know, we're better than half the people here. And and whilst that would might sound a terribly arrogant thing to say, I don't think it was. It was just it was just a, a recognition that actually we were okay. We were suitably mediocre. Ah. Now that one, and I'm going to go off script again, but it is something mm. that you talked about. Researching you, which obviously I know you extremely well, and I didn't just Google you last night heavily. You wrote a thing called the Mediocrity Manifesto. I actually, it's genuinely fascinating because I, I think it's a, a very fresh take on the whole imposter situation. You know, the fact that actually a lot of our insecurities come from the pressure to try to be good at everything. Um, can you talk about that for a little moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about it. If I can use a, a British football analogy, um, it, it's that, that I'm a kind of Everton. So, you know... In, Steady in, seventh. In, yeah, I'm seventh. In, in, in the Premier League, there's the, there's the incredibly talented Chelsea's, Manchester City's and, and Liverpool's. And there's Everton, who are, like, better than, better than uh, some of the lesser teams and aspire to be one of the great teams, but just never will be. And I, and I think in my career, when you start out, you try to be, you know, Manchester City or Real Madrid or whatever, you try to be absolutely the best and you beat your head against a brick wall and it takes a long time before you go, oh, actually, maybe I'm never going to be that good. Let's look at, at what I can do to try and and make myself happier and, and build a career based around the realities of the business rather than wishful thinking that I am the uh, reincarnation of Bill Burnback. Yeah, it's interesting. One of, um, one of my account leads at one of my agencies had this, um, had this phrase, which is, the problem is he's playing out of position. And actually, I think that feed, you know, feeds into your metaphor. And I think it's really true is that when you try and make people do stuff that they're not naturally or, you know, they're not good at, that's where a lot of the stress comes from. You know, if you're playing out of position, that's often when you, you literally don't belong because you're trying to do stuff that you're not naturally good at. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's areas of this business which I, I am quite good at and there's, there's areas which I'm uh, terrible at. I won't, I won't bore you with the... the details but it, it helps to be able to, to to concentrate yourself to to play to your strengths and I've done, I've done it with with hiring freelancers I've liked to hire freelancers for a specific job because you can then get people who who are particularly good in that area whereas the own the, the own teams the teams that you have may actually be fine but don't actually have they're not specifically strong in what you need the freelancer for and I guess a lot of it um plays into confidence doesn't it and you know confidence in yourself but also projecting confidence so people can believe in you and follow you and you can lead the charge and all that kind of stuff but being too content can also be quite dangerous do you think there's a balance in being okay with your own abilities and also wanting to be better well I, I mean uh... Yeah, you, you always want to be better, but wanting to do something doesn't necessarily mean that you'll do it, despite what um, the idiotic self-help books tell us. You know, thinking yourself brilliant will not turn you into Tiger Woods. Actually, it probably will these days, but it's... Um, 
I, I, I wrote an article last week about where confidence and capability get out of kilter, which is where you get the da- danger. The great people, uh, like I was listening to your podcast with um, Niels Leonard the other day. Now, he's obviously a vastly talented individual, uh, and he knows it. Uh, and that, that, that's fine. He's at, he's, he's at the top of his game, one of the best people at, at doing what he does, and he has an inner confidence that tells him that. The, the, the dangerous people are the people who aren't, who aren't half as good as they think they are, which is an awful lot of people in the industry. But the real diamonds are the people who are who are who are fantastic, but don't actually have the confidence to to push themselves on. And it's great as a a creative director to to try and help those people because they're not generally arrogant bastards uh, and to help get the best out of them. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you need those humble people in every team to sort of almost fill in the gaps in a way. But equally, you need to give them opportunity to be the best that they can be. That's kind of your number one job as a creative director, isn't it? Um, yeah, but, but there's, a, uh, there's a thought that you can, you can teach creativity to a certain extent, but it's difficult to teach attitude. Uh, and if people don't have the right attitude, however, however talented they are, they're, they're, you know, it's not going to be great for them. Sure, you love your genitals, but do your pictures do them justice? Maybe you need a wider lens. Would subtle lighting hide those bumps? And could the right exposure achieve that level of intrigue so often missing from the average knob shot? To shoot anything at its best, talk to ProGear first and get the camera equipment that will let your junk shine. ProGear.co.nz. Good photography makes everything better. And maybe imposter syndrome helps fuel that attitude because it makes you strive to be better. Um, well, well I, as I say, I don't, I don't think it's something that, that I suffered from. I actually thought before I you know, did my homework that imposter, imposter syndrome was the people who uh, turned up for a meeting and just winged it and didn't know what, what the fuck they were doing and were actually you know, shouldn't have been there. But mm. no, it's it's people who are actually great that don't have the, the confidence in themselves and wonder how they're doing it. And, and, and undoubtedly it will, it, it, it would push them on to be great. But, you know, for most people to be in the industry, you, you have to have quite a large degree of motivation anyway, because it's it's a pretty, it's very hard to get into. You have to go, Often, in many cases, you have to go back to college to do it and uh, scrape around trying to get a job and then get paid by rule when you're in. I think that's one of the things we're finding is that with imposter syndrome, like you just mentioned, it's pushing people who already work hard to overthink, overplan, prepare for uh, the worst. And what we're finding or what we'd like to find is that acknowledging that within yourself is actually the motivator that, hey, it's cool. You know, I'm actually, I'm actually in, a, in a very good place here because I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it, it's very difficult, to, it's very difficult to, to judge your own work and it's something that I've always, well, something that I've always found difficult. Um, but I never had that 
feeling that that every campaign is great and it's fantastic. It's not till it's it's not till it's out on air and you're getting feedback from clients and customers. Let's not forget them and and the industry that you that for me that I can go. Yeah, okay, we did a pretty good job there. I'm going to switch tracks a little bit here and um, and fast forward to where you are now. One of the most imposterous occasions, you know, the classic white blank piece of paper and you've um, contrived yourself into a position where you have that every week writing your weekly column yeah um, that must be tricky you know every week knowing that you've got to deliver every week you know keeping it fresh keeping it interesting This is on the Herald website, right? And it's an article by... Oh, yes, Paul I can see it there. It's going yeah, okay. on, what is it, Paul Catman yeah. or something, Catmuir? Yeah. Paul Catman. Do we really need it? Do yeah. we really want to run the country like a business? The Herald ran that article yesterday, and it was by journalist Paul Catmuir, and it was clearly pointed at new National Party leader Chris Luxon, who has a strong corporate background. And I have two issues with that article when I read it. I thought, really? First... The head, the egg-shaped head as a caricature. I mean, clearly. Yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, but it's dead right there. It is too. Yeah, it's to- a shocker. To- yeah, totally hypocritical, bro. You know, the newspapers are the first to go off on a wokey dokey charade about hate speech and bullying. Then they turn around and imply that the newly elected leader of the opposition, Chris Luxon, has a head like an egg. You know, after failing all last week to dig up any dirt on his religious views, is that the best they can do, bro? Writing a uh, 800 word column every week over a week is not half as difficult as being faced with a campaign that you have to make credible, great, and probably have three of them to present to a client in two days. That there's there's far more there's far more pressure doing that. And I've got another write, writer anyway, so to write and, and to have people encouraging you to write and, and reading what you do is fantastic. And I, I spent 30 years of my career as, you know, you guys have, you know, maybe less, staring at blank pieces of paper, uh, knowing that if I didn't do it, if I didn't do it to everyone's satisfaction, all kinds of bad things are going to happen. So, uh you know, the, 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 the pressure now of, of having a blank sheet of paper is, is nowhere near as great as it was. And the answer to that conundrum is, as ever, just write something. Just scribble something. Just never have a piece of blank paper. Just write down a shopping list. Just start so that's, doing something. That, that's your key way through the, the writer's block is just write and then yes. see what pops out. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can go back and change it. You can throw it away. You can do whatever, but just just have something. Because that that the, the mm. very act of of doing that of um, of of getting into the motion of doing it uh, can kickstarts you into actually doing it, to actually doing something of value. Hopefully, yeah. Even if you think it's rubbish, it's still an act of creation, which is going in the right direction. It, it, it undoubtedly will be rubbish, but yeah, in time. <laughs> Paul, this has been great. We've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. I just would like your advice as you have um, Truth and Soul Inc. So some podcasting advice. We have been at the end of every episode saying to people to reassure them, you know, this is a program about, uh, you know, empowerment. 
to we, we've been saying you are creative, you are loved, and you belong. But I've listened to it back, and I think it sounds a bit twee. So, yeah. so I'm just going to suggest that we finish with. And I just want your advice on it. Stay phony. What do you think? No. no. <laughs> so, 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 Michael, is this is this going to be a thing now where you just rehearse <laughs> taglines? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I need to take it back to the agency and have a think about it. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Paul. It was really, really good to talk to you. Super interesting. Um, that, thanks, guys. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.